Welcome to Sastery in the Making, the podcast that features the people who made the software world what it is today and the leaders who are shaping the future of technology. Here's your host, Matt Wallach. Okay, I'm wondering if you've ever thought about what might be the top SaaS marketing tactics, or maybe you've wondered what mistakes you might be making or what others are making when trying to market to enterprise audiences. And really, what is the difference between marketing to an enterprise audience and an SMB company? We are going to touch on all of that and more. This is Sastry in the Making. I am your host, Matt Wallach, and I am delighted to be joined by our special guest, Tim Whiting. Tim, how are you doing? Great, Matt. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm really excited to have you here. So Tim, he's the VP of Marketing at Label Insight, and that's the world's leading product attribute metadata solution. I'm really interested to learn more about what they're doing at Label Insight. Prior to that, he was the VP of Marketing at Opinion Lab, where he led all aspects of marketing for this high-growth, private equity-backed SaaS provider. So when it comes to marketing, when it comes to understanding how to get a SaaS business out there, Tim knows his stuff. So once again, Tim, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I must say, Matt, I was a little bit intimidating. I listened to some of your podcasts and it seems that you're really helping uh, companies grow with, without a, a ton of marketing support. So uh, again, wasn't sure what value I could add, but I will say, I, I think you hit on it. Marketing in an enterprise is a little bit of a different beast. So hopefully I'm going to be able to bring, some, bring something of value uh, to, to your, your audience. Well, I know with your knowledge and experience, you certainly will. So uh, I'm glad to have you here. What I want to know is what's really, have you been up to lately, Tim, and what's coming up for you guys? Yeah, great question. You know, Label Insight works at the intersection of a couple of really big trends that are occurring right now uh, in the world. One is the boom of of grocery e-commerce. So our primary customers are CPG brands, P&G, Unilever, ConAgra, and grocery retailers. So the traditional retailers like Albertsons, but also the emerging players, whether that's a a big box like Target and Walmart that have booming Mm -hmm. grocery businesses or, or the pure play you know, digital players like, you know, DoorDash and, and GoPuff. A lot of folks are getting into this business with the pandemic. The other big trend is consumers moving towards thinking about products through the a lens of, of need state. And what, what I mean by that is health and wellness concerns when evaluating products, understanding what's in the products you put in and on your body. Right now, there's over 200 million people in the US that shop for products based upon some type of health and wellness need, or allergen avoidance, or, or lifestyle or value-based need, like a cruelty-free product or a product that's manufactured sustainably. So the wow. intersection of these two uh, trends is booming for our business. In January, eGrocery had a new record $9.3 billion wow. in one month. And that represents 16% more households shopping online for groceries than in the previous month. So really, really big business. And we're fortunate to be at that intersection of those two really big macro trends. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's one of those things where the pandemic's a bad thing, but sometimes there's a silver lining. Looks like it's kind of pushed people towards something that your company can help with. Yeah, what I've heard from our customers is digital transformation was already occurring in grocery and and CPG. This has accelerated that transformation uh, by about five years. And so Mm -hmm. uh, plans were already putting into place, were already being established. There is a, a roadmap in place for many of these retailers, but this is just forcing an acceleration. And, and really, as you know, the power in any, any type of technology is the data that's driving it. And we have some really, really unique data that, that drives it. 
Yeah, that's really cool. So can you talk to me about that? Like, what is that data and what is it doing? Yeah, so when we say product attribute data, it's metadata. It, it basically, we have the ability to evaluate, deconstruct, um, analyze, and organize every product in the market based on both explicit characteristics, attributes. So what might show up on the package? We have the ability to, to digitize that, bring it in, organize it, make it useful. Wow. But more wow. importantly, we have patented technology that, that deconstructs a product does ingredient analysis, and really understands that implicit characteristic of a product. So uh, we like to think of it as like the product's DNA. So for each product on the market, we track, catalog, and activate uh, 24,000 different attributes, spanning things like health and wellness needs. Is something you know gluten-free? Does something qualify for the, the paleo diet or the keto diet? Um, is something you know free from certain allergens? Like sesame was just named by the FDA mm-hmm. as a new allergen that needs to be really? considered in the U.S., as well wow. as in your lifestyle-based attributes. So is it you know sustainably manufactured, cruelty-free, all the things that are important to people, we track and catalog that and then make that data useful for both insights and activation you know, for our customers. That's really fascinating. I want to know, Tim, what got you into marketing in the first place? What made that your career path? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, uh, I started in sales, which was great for me. On the dark um, side, I, as some say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's funny. Sometimes you think that way. Um, I'm in sales, so I don't say that. But yeah, that's what yeah. I'm saying. <laughs> I got some really good advice early on that the way to really understand business is to go into sales. So I, I had opportunities coming out of school to go into a marketing role, but the advice you actually from my eldest brother said, learn business through sales. And so um, started oh, out cool. in that and um, re- really enjoyed that. But at a certain point, I, I started to understand like the scale of value will come from marketing. And so, you know, transitioning to a variety of different marketing roles across the four or five Ps, depending on who you, who you define marketing with, you know, product management, product marketing, the, the pricing, the distribution, the channels, the brand building, et cetera. And really uh, found it was a, a great combination of my skills, the ability to sort of think creatively, the ability to apply uh, tactics creatively, but always with an eye towards how do we drive revenue? How do we bring you know profitable revenue into the business? So it was a really positive intersection for me that that served me well. Very cool. I love that. So what advice would you give to others who are considering that path? What things have you done well or maybe not so well that you would kind of help and coach others thinking about that? Yeah, it's interesting. My, my path may be a little bit different than many, many of your listeners where I started out in larger companies. And um, that has both uh, had a positive effect and, and I, I think carries a little bit of a stigma as you start working with you know, earlier stage companies, right? The positive is with the structure and the history of, of testing and measuring in a larger company, you can really get a great understanding of what does great look like, right? So what, yes. what's the ultimate vision of putting a, a marketing function into place, establishing a marketing engine? What, what does an ideal tech stack look like? You know, what, what's the discipline you have to put in place to measure the impact? A lot of that is a benefit of a larger company. The flip side of that and a little bit of stigma is, is when you, if your desire and your career path is to work in an in a early stage company, a startup, or maybe even a little bit later stage, there's that stigma of, hey, you're a, you're a large company person. Are you going to be able uh-huh. to come in here and roll your sleeves up and be hands-on and work at the pace, the, the frenetic pace of, of an early stage company? So there's pluses and minuses of that. So my learning was, you know, if, for those in the audience that may be in larger companies and seeking to pursue a path into smaller, finding a bridge, maybe a functional bridge or a, a category uh, industry bridge that gives you credibility is really important, but also just perseverance. 
you know, a lot of people will say, no, you're carrying that large company stigma. You may not be the right person to, to help us. But sooner or later, when you have perseverance, you're going to find that right opportunity. And then it's up to you to prove it out. I totally agree. And I did the same. I used to work for a very big company in my early career and uh, eventually got into startups, realized I'm a startup junkie and just absolutely <laughs> love the whole startup process. That's why I help founders do it now. But what I really found, and you might have found the same, was if I had a terrific day at the large company, or if I had a horrible day at that large company, it really didn't matter. Like the company didn't really change much. And so I realized I don't really have much of an impact. Whereas when I got into startups, if I had a terrific day, we leaped ahead. And if I had a bad day, it hurt us. And so, yeah, there's some pressure there, but I kind of thrived on it. And I love that I have an impact in what happens here. And it's really kind of made an impact, so to speak, on my career and how I've started to lean it. I want to make an impact. I want to be able to help the company jump ahead. I, have you felt the same? Yeah, I love that. And I, you know, as you're describing that, that's part of the, the energy that I derive from you know, starting in sales. Because it was that there's an immediate feedback loop. Mm -hmm. uh, of, of both your personal success and the value you're bringing to the, to the business. And that's very measurable. Like you, yep. you exceed your quota, or you don't, you close the sale, or you don't, you get that immediate feedback loop. And I would say uh, what you described is, is definitely there for me. And part of that, you know, what builds that energy in earlier stage companies is that immediate impact. There's pluses and minuses. You don't have the security. Uh, yeah, you don't have maybe the, the pace. But wow, that is so energizing for certain types of people. And I think you and I are those, those types of people. Yeah, I would completely agree. Okay, let's talk about some tactics. Now, I know that this is something that you're a specialist in. You're really good at it. So what are some of the current top SaaS marketing tactics that help you engage enterprise audiences? When you're going after a big player, what are some of the things that really help you engage and get your foot in the door? Yeah, I think... You know, I can sort of organize tactics into, you know, what, what do you do to grow awareness? What do you use to like bring a trust into the equation to establish that trust with your audience? It's really important. In it's important in any type of sale, but especially in enterprise. And um, yeah, what, I would what, agree to, not to cut you off there, but that trust is huge because a lot of times the big companies, they're not looking to jump ahead like we just talked about with the uh, young ones, the startups. They're looking to kind of keep their position. And more importantly, that person who's looking at you is trying to keep their position and not get fired. So when you say trust, I talk about that a lot. Trust is huge yeah. in an enterprise sale. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. On. And I think to extend on that, you know, this idea of once you gain some trust, how do you continue to work as a, as a marketing function to validate that decision? And that's not only along the process to a closed one revenue event, but importantly, especially for SaaS, that, that process to renew and expand. You know, again, we think of it more in terms of a retention rate than churn reduction, you know, in enterprise, yep. but so, so critical to be thinking about that early on because it, there's nothing worse than having a, having a leaky bucket in your business uh, if you're an enterprise SaaS business. So really put some focus around, you know, validating that decision. So back to awareness, um, some of this is pretty simplistic, but sometimes is, is overlooked. A great, you know, tactic to really craft your narrative and understand if that narrative is resonating is, is a pitch deck, right? And so this might seem simplistic, but it's really quite hard to get your story crafted in a way that not only educates and builds that awareness, but starts to, to build that trust. And you can do a lot of things, but that, that pitch deck is a great tactic. And interesting sure. for me, what I've observed is the pitch deck you might be using 
or the store you might be using to potentially go go raise money or go educate investors or whatever else is not the same store you want to be using with really any customer, but certainly not a an enterprise customer. So the narrative really has to be built around it, knowing the customer, right? And so mm. what are the problems you address? What are the big challenges that exist that you can quantify and sort of show a path to resolving? Uh, how do you create a compelling event? So one of these, a big enterprise customer might say, well, this is really something I should start thinking about and prioritize. And so again, it sounds simplistic, but that I found that pitch deck is a great vehicle, a great tactic to really hone your narrative, hone your message and tailor it so it starts driving the right behaviors. Does that make sense? It does. And I completely agree. I think it's really important to have that. And you talked about your story and you talked about knowing the customer. It is so critical to know the customer and to really kind of make sure that they understand that you know them so that they see this is a solution that gets me, that gets my challenges, that gets my problems. These people are speaking to me. Yeah. And when you can do that within your marketing, that's a very powerful action motivator. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and an extension of that, Matt, is you know, what, one of the promises of marketing in a SaaS business is to help you know, create repeatability and scalability, you know, create a mm-hmm. flywheel or whatever you know, cliche you want to use. One thing I've observed with, with enterprise is it really, it, the best you can hope for is mass customization, right? So you can't have one story that's going to resonate across a category, across an industry. There's such a, a spectrum of, of maturity across customers, such a spectrum of what their strategic imperatives are, um, mm-hmm. such a spectrum of the types of individuals you're, you're speaking to about which use cases, you know, there's a level of customization. So even though there's the, there's the goal of creating, alt, you know, repeatability so you can really scale, with enterprise, it's a little bit different because people don't want to be treated as a general category. Yep. They want to be understood as a specific enterprise, as a specific individual. And they really, you know, as you're establishing trust, they really want you to demonstrate that you understand what they're trying to accomplish as individuals and the goals they're trying to achieve as, as enterprise. So true. So what are some of the things that you and your team are doing that's working for you guys? Yeah, what's working right for us, back to sort of building trust and, and validating, using data is really, really important. Not only to educate on, you know, does a problem exist or not, but also to show show the value. So a lot of our emphasis has been upon building uh, data-driven content platforms. Basically, as a as a data provider, we have the ability to go in and do unique analysis and bring things to life. So we built these these data platforms, or these content platforms that have, have been very, very effective. And as an example, you know, we have analysis that we can go in and we, we look at all the brands on the market and we say, hey, who's what's the opportunity that's represented by you know people brands uh, not being discoverable on on the shelf, on the digital shelf. So people are searching for certain need states, certain attributes and brands that qualify for things like the ketogenic diet or being, you know, manufactured sustainably, et cetera. Are they even mm-hmm. being discovered by, you know, search engines? Doing some analysis, we were able to determine that 84% of the brands out there, 84%, they fail to claim the top three things that our consumers are searching for about their brands for which they qualify. And wow. that's, that's millions and millions of dollars to a brand. So we can take this data and craft into that narrative that, that's quantified, creates a compelling event. And then with these content platforms, that's an easier thing to scale, right? Because you can take a content platform, you can create reports that can to be very, very engaging. Uh, you can leverage it to create, create webinars to educate, you know, not through spear phishing, but through a, a broad net. You know, just spin it off into infographics, you know, social posts, you know, video clips, 
sales out outreach material, you know, customized sort of little blurbs and quotes that'll get individual brands' attention. Uh, so these okay. content platforms have been very, very successful for us. You know, they're scannable, they're data rich, and they really help to not only educate and drive awareness, but also start building that trust and also help justify that with data throughout the sales process. That makes a lot of sense. It also sounds like a multi-channel approach, hitting them from a bunch of different angles is one of the ways to do it. Are you seeing that? Yeah, absolutely. The goal is to move towards more of an account-based marketing approach. You know, that's our journey. I think that's probably a lot of people's journey. Very, very easy to say. Um, There's certainly technology out there to help enable it. In my experience, you know, somewhat challenging to execute because of the content needs. So I would say a content platform like this across multiple channels is almost like an ABM light, right? So you can get started you can start creating a feedback loop to understand what's resonating. There's certainly, you know, across across those channels, ways you can measure impact uh, and, oh, yeah. and measure what's converting, what's bringing people into the pipeline, what's converting to close uh, one revenue. So absolutely, it's a multi-channel approach. Probably the governor that's like, you know, for many companies stands in the way is, is just spinning that content in so many different ways to hit different types of audiences with different types of use cases. Because again, in these large, complex enterprises, you're dealing with with a lot a lot of different you know types of people. So for instance, you know our business, we deal with an audience that's all about regulatory compliance. So how do we ensure that our products comply to what are the FDA is requiring them to disclose to consumers? We also deal with a whole audience that's about, hey, how do we use this type of data to drive new product innovation, right? And then we have another audience that's all about how do we activate this in the market? How do we use this for search uh, optimization? How do we use this for performance marketing? vastly different audiences. And we, you start just doing that mental math of like, how do I spin all this content? Like I said, that's the governor on the, you know, achieving that ultimate goal of, of true ABM. That's really, really cool. And you talked about how you're doing that. Now I want to understand what would you say are, are some of the differences between marketing to those enterprises versus marketing to a smaller medium business? I mean, you talked about ABM, account-based marketing for everybody out there who may not have heard that term. So in an account-based marketing scenario, that usually works for a certain deal size and above. It doesn't work so well because obviously the cost is going to get too high for some of the lower deal sizes. So what have you seen, Tim, or some of the differences between marketing to those enterprises versus the SMB world? Yeah, great question. And I sort of laughed to myself. I'm so diligent about not using acronyms and you caught me with one. So thanks for clarifying. Well, you, st- you did say account-based marketing first, so okay. you do get credit there. Yes. All right. Thank you. So a couple of thoughts on that. One, I, you know, with larger enterprises, this is probably intuitive. There's a smaller number of larger dollar opportunities. And so from one respect, it's almost like the number of prospects you have available is, is more limited. And so that, that mm-hmm. requires a certain type of behavior to be very thoughtful, very well organized, put time into a, you know, a strategic account planning yep. and a partnership between sales and marketing. Sort of the flip side of that is, Within these large complex enterprises, you have vastly larger, you know, buying groups. Not only sort of the official buying group, but the influencers. I think, mm-hmm. depending on you know the data source, uh, a buying committee or on enterprise software can be you know 30, 40, up to sixty different individuals weighing in on this. So although the the group of prospect uh, businesses might be smaller, the buying yep. cycle and the number of individuals you need to connect with is is vastly more complex and more numerous. And so that requires a little bit of a different approach. Um, with that, sales cycles are, are typically longer. I mean, I, I, I would imagine that SMB is 
you know, hopefully within a month, I, I don't know the stats on that. Ours can be, you know, nine to 12 months. I think that general for a business like ours is, is, you know, pretty reasonable. We're always trying to shorten that. So we think a lot about how do you create those compelling events to accelerate um, that sales cycle. But also you have to, you have to do your homework to understand like, what are the budget cycles? Are there freezes that occur? What's the buying process? Because it's going to be much, much more, more complex. Part of that also is just anticipating questions. You know, I've been, I've been caught in, in my career where we get through a, a buying cycle and there's like, hey, this is great, we're ready to go, but we just need this simple security audit review. So as you may be thinking about something closing in a given month, suddenly you're adding, you know, another 30 to 60 days because you, you may not be the top priority for their security team. Um, yep. Enterprise has, you know, a lot more, you know, resources focused on procurement and negotiation, legal teams that probably put a lot more scrutiny around the, the contracts that they're signing. and so. Um, from a marketing perspective, it's just helping to anticipate those questions and proactively answering some of those questions so things don't things don't slow down. Definitely an opportunity for much, much larger lifetime value with these large enterprises. I think sure. land and expand is a concept that is much, much more uh, relevant in enterprise than SMB. So really, w- when we think about you know marketing an enterprise, winning a deal is almost like a hunting license that then opens the door for you to go and, and pursue other use, use cases. So like the example that I use where we might win business helping with regulatory compliance, there's vast vastness and opportunity around helping teams drive new product innovation or helping teams understand how to monetize their retail uh, performance media programs or you know optimize online. So it's that land and expand concept is, I think, much, much more relevant in enterprise than it is this SN, SMB. And with that- I agree. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I'd agree. I mean, land and expand, first of all, is, it can be a great strategy if done well. I, the problem is I see too many companies don't do it well enough. They land, hopefully, meaning they close the deal, but they don't do the upsell well enough, the expansion part of that. And they haven't put enough strategy or training around how are we going to upsell? How are we going to get the next product into their hands? And so land and expand can fall flat if you don't do it right. But you're right. If done well, it can be a great strategy. Yeah. I tell you what, that that is a great, I mean, maybe piece of advice for the earlier stage companies is my experience has been there. There's such focus on winning that that new logo. A lot of the energy of the organization and probably appropriately so goes against winning that new logo. But at a certain point in the business, a portion of that energy, a portion of that resource needs to really start thinking about, you know, how, how do you expand? How do you renew? Because the yep. last thing you want to do is, you know, you get through your your first year's contract or a couple years contract or whatever it is, and you have not been preparing for that renewal or you have not been investing against that that expansion. So on one hand, it's a it's a great risk to a business if you're not planning for renewals early on. On the other mm-hmm. side, it's a great opportunity because expansion revenue, gosh, it's got to be easier to upsell within a customer you already have than go out oh, and win, win a new customer. Absolutely, completely is. Well, this has been really awesome. Once again, we've been talking with Tim Whiting, the VP of Marketing from Label Insight. And Tim, I've really enjoyed hearing what you've had to say. You've brought a lot of knowledge and education, so I really appreciate that. How shall our audience learn more about you and Label Insight? Well, Label Insight's easy. Uh, Labelinsight.com is our website. So please have a look. And uh, if you're interested in speaking more, the best way to reach out to me is via LinkedIn. So uh, you should be able to find me, Tim Whiting, Label Insight. Very happy to speak with people and provide provide guidance as it's relevant and useful. Perfect. And for everybody on the podcast, we will put that in the show notes. For everybody on the video cast, you should see that down below. Tim, this has been awesome. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me again, Matt. I appreciate it.
Absolutely. So thank you all for listening and watching. I really appreciate it. Hope you got good value out of this. Please make sure to subscribe to the show. We always have new creators and innovators, new people thinking about great ideas for growing SaaS companies. So we'll be sharing those every week. We'll have new guests on the show. So once you subscribe, you'll get notifications of that and be able to get all of those learnings. Thank you for coming to today's show. And I will see you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to Sastery in the Making. Join us next episode for another look into how today's visionaries are creating the next generation of innovation.